them warm worms and me. <laughs> This week we're talking about another goon show which is a british war film parody they love doing that didn't they they love sending out the the idea of the plucky britishers giving a bloody nose to fritz and his friends uh so uh sit back and enjoy or stand up and enjoy or just do whatever you're doing but you know make sure you you enjoy uh, joining me today is uh, Phil Cannon of the Doctor Who podcast, Who's He? Thank you very much, Tyler. It's a real pleasure to be here. And a pleasure to talk about something other than Doctor Who for a change. I say this every time. I didn't know there were Doctor Who podcasts, to be honest. but uh, there, there are hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> so what, 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 is, what, what, is, uh, what is your USP? Uh, well, basically, we, oh, so we've been going for like 10 years now. And basically, we, we just sort of... I say talk about Doctor Who and all its sort of various, um, various formats. Actually, whether it's like the televised stuff or the like the some of the what we I grew up with is the Target novelizations, which was based in the seventies, was our only window um, into pre Tom Baker Doctor Who, really. And then, of course, you've got the audio stories from Big Finish um, mm. as well. So there's um, there's quite a bit of content to, to, sort of to get your teeth into. The whole thing of Who's He um, came from our long-lost third co-host, Tony, because he he used to watch a little bit of Doctor Who, but wasn't sort of very well-versed in it. We come up with the name because, remember, years ago, we went on um, we were, was it like a lad's holiday to Florida. And in Florida, in August, it just chucks it down with rain every day because it's like, you know, it's tropical there. So it just gets big downpouring of rain. But in a couple of days, there were some really, really bad storms. So we were stuck in the hotel room watching... Um, Star Trek and all the way through it Tony was who's he what's he doing <laughs> who's that so and then uh, so we just thought right who's he because it, I, I, it ties into Doctor Who um, but also it ties into his line of question all the way through it so that, that's 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 how we got the name right. really it was yeah. it's actually nothing to do with Doctor Who it's more Star Trek related if, if, if anything well listen we are not going to be talking about Doctor Who today you, you can depend upon that because uh, today uh, we are going to be talking about a particular goon show, which is uh, an episode very dear to your heart, I'm sure. So, mm-hmm. you know, what's your history with the goons? How did you come to the goons? Well, I, I sort of took a, a, a long way round to get to the goons, really, because initially it was Spike Milligan that I was really, and still am, really, uh, really a big fan of. He's he's my sort of, you know, my all-time hero. And it was really sort of, there were two things Really, it was a the Q series, which I uh, on odd occasion I was allowed to watch mm. um, when when I was a kid, and also his war memoirs, which my uh, I think it's my grandfather first. And it, I don't know; if this seems to happen now, but somebody would buy a book in, in certainly my family would buy a book, and then it'd be passed round to everybody to read. Yeah, um, and one of them was not; it wasn't Adolf Hitler, my partner's downfall. It was Monty, my part and his victory. Right. Okay. Uh, which is which is the which is the third book. Yeah. And I was okay. I didn't understand a lot of it was on what was in there because you know there was a lot of um, sort of naughty language, wasn't there? Especially mm. for a for for a child. But it, it was the it was the pictures and the drawings in there. So you might like there was that. I oh, was it, it was the one about the battle dress. I, can't, I don't think it was Monty, but it was the one about his battle dress that let in wind, small rodents, and soup. <laughs> I think was which was. <laughs> Which was it? Still, it stays with me to this day. But also that picture of Adolf Galland uh, getting into the cockpit of his Messerschmitt, and the caption underneath it: "A German fighter pilot crapping into his cockpit." <laughs> so, and then seen the Q series as well. Now, obviously, 
as we know, Milligan's had a real um, love-hate relationship with the BBC. Uh, for the moment he started working to the, to, the, to the day he died, I think, really. And what I'd forgotten about in the Q series was it was more... You had all these sketches, but there were quite a, at least one or two musical interludes oh, yeah. mm-hmm. in there as well, which I completely forgot about. It's not until the the box sets came out recently yeah. of the Q series. I'd forgotten, was it Milligan and Ed Welch? Um, That's right, yeah. Sort of musical contributions that, that Milligan would, would sing on there each week. Yeah, but that was it. That 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 was ever since then. I've been absolutely hooked on on Milligan and tried to collect as much stuff as I possibly could on on the man. You know, so I've I've got different versions of the War Memoirs. I've got them on um, on audio. I've got them in cassette version. I've got them on CD. And one of the box sets he signed as well, but I didn't actually meet him to do it. My parents bought it for for my birthday. Um, oh, okay. This would have been back in the where's that box that come out? Probably about the early nineties, I think. This would have been late eighties, yeah. early nineties. Yeah, and they and he signed the first three hundred. So, so I've got his signature on the box set. So, obviously, I've got nothing. Nothing I can play cassettes on it any, anymore. But I won't part with it because it's got his signature on Absolutely it. Absolutely, you know, not. It, yeah. I, you know, I cannot part with it. But every time they sort of mum and dad will go out somewhere, they say, "Have you got this?" But they go, they love looking around, sort of junk shops or, or, or charity shops and they'd always see a Milligan book have you got this one have you got that one? Oh, oh, great no I haven't you know can you can you pick it up for me and so they sort of fed my they fed my habit over the years <laughs> to, 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 to be honest so um but yeah I mean obviously but the other the other goons obviously I probably second to Milligan was probably Michael Benteen because oh. watching pot was watching potty time okay really hmm which I absolutely, I, I was absolutely fascinated with. It wasn't exactly the the, the, the the potties themselves. It was the little flea circus mm. things you used to do each week. And I was fascinated by it. So what, so, what, what about yeah. what about Peter? What, Pink Panther, I presume, was the first sort of exposure to Peter Sellers? Well, yeah. I mean, I obviously, it was the Pink Panther show, really. It was the cartoon. Oh, and then, right. you the, the, then you saw the Clouseau um sort of cartoon character would turn out. It wasn't until much later after I actually I was actually sort of found out, I was told that, oh no, it's the Pink Panthers of film. It's Peter Sellers. And I, who's Peter Sellers? And then that's how, I, that's the only thing I knew him from, really. I knew he was a goon, mm-hmm. um, but in the 70s, I hadn't actually heard any goon shows. So obviously I heard, of, I knew of Harry Seacombe, mainly from, he used to pop up on television every now and again, also play Mr. Bumble in Oliver. Mm. Um, as well, that's probably the first time I saw him. Actually, was doing that. Yeah, I, I, knew, I knew of their existence, but at that time in the seventies, nothing about the goons. So I did take a very long time to to get to that point where I actually became aware and started listening to them. That was eighty one um, because my 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 dad was telling me about the goons because he he used to listen to him in the fifties. Yeah. I think he did mention the Telly Goons as well, which I've now had. I've watched the the occasional episode. It doesn't really work, does it? <sighs> Telly Goons doesn't really work. Oof, understatement. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really work. I think that, that that's the thing about as I found out about Goon humour. It it works on radio. It's it's made for radio. You can only go on those flights of fancy on radio. You can't vis- you can visualise it in your mind, but you can't. You can't visualise it on television, and you certainly can't do it with puppets on on a on a budget like that either. No. So it, it just it, it just can't no. be done. That's the thing about radio and, and just sound effects because the budget is limitless. Yeah, really. Oh yeah. But yeah, so I so my dad was talking about the goons, and then we found out this this documentary was on. I remember it was, it was on this Saturday night. Now we never we were not um, my parents were not audiophiles at all. They never very rarely listen to music. Um, I think my mum used to have Terry Wogan on during the week, but my mum wasn't a big. She not she not the radio on full stop really. She didn't like it all in the car. Didn't any music being on. She's very she was very very sort of uh, anti noise and, and any I don't, <laughs> like that. I, I, no, hey, no offense to your mum. I don't understand people yeah. like that because you get people like that, and I think they should be locked up. People that um, <laughs> people people that like <laughs> like solitude, like silence. That you know, I can't. I have to have. Uh, music on or I need to be listening to a podcast or mm. I need to have something when I'm, something, when I'm yeah. doing anything more or less if I'm, yeah. not, if I'm on oh, my yeah. own doing something 
you know, even if it's um, grouting the bathroom tiles, you know, I need some it some noise. Need something on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so for us to have this on 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 a, I think it was on at ten o'clock on a Saturday night as well. So, and I recorded it. No, actually, no, I didn't record it. What I recall was the next day. Sorry, I'll get my facts mixed up here. So, yeah, so we sat down and listened to it, and I was absolutely hooked from that point. And by then, it, it was nothing more than like a few interviews, a couple of interviews with Spike and Harry some and some other key players, and lots of clips of the goons. Yeah. Uh, and I think the – obviously, I was would have been about 10 or 11 years old. I was around about that age. And – when it got to Fred the Oyster, mm. Um, mm. I was okay. I'm a, I'm a ten year old kid listening to someone breaking wind on the radio. I was in hysterics. I was in absolute hysterics. And that, that was it. As I say, I was absolutely like, hooked on it. But then the next day, and then for the, uh, on the Sunday lunchtime radio, t- and for the next six weeks after that, they broadcast goon shows. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. So, which, and then I had to, I thought, I, I know I've got no, and I wanted to record them. I thought, it's more Milligan stuff I can collect. So I found, I think my dad dug out an old cassette from somewhere. And I think the first episode they played on on that Sunday lunchtime was the I think it was the personality of a Seagoon RN. And I think the next week was Queen Queen Anne's Reign. Right. This, remember. Would, this wouldn't have been eighty three, would it? Um I no I thought it was earlier than that, actually. The only reason I'm saying that because because I know my, my good friend Tilt who's been on this show. Yeah. And it, we talked about Queen Anne's Reign. And he yeah. he was born seventy five, and I know that he heard it in that uh, series, that repeat series, where personal narrative was was, mm. was included in Queen Queen Anne's reign. I looked on BBC Genome, and from memory, I might be wrong, and I, you know, if so, I'll edit this out. But <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it was eighty three. I made it earlier than that. Um, yeah. I was like, again, I could be wrong as well. well let's, let's move. Let's move we, on. It does, does, let's move on. It, I listened to it in my very uh, my formative years. Put it that way. Okay. Um, anyway, so that there was there was that, and I think there was the policy around the world in eighty days. The episode we're going to talk about or highlight. So it met by Goonlight. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I think well, there's a couple of others on there, but that was it. I was and I recorded these and I played them to death after that. I, I could not get enough of it. And like every evening, as I said, they're not my parents aren't big audiophiles. And the reason I say it was it was 81, because I didn't have a stereo or anything I could place in my own bedroom at the time. Mm-hmm. So and I had to listen I listened to it on my dad's hi-fi, uh, as they as they were stereogram, radiogram, whatever they were called back yes, then. Gramophone, um, yep. mm-hmm. gramophone. So I listened to it back then, uh, on the headphones and and that was, what was, that was it. I sort of became absolutely addicted to listening. And I played these episodes over and over again. But the, the thing was, I didn't know anybody else who listened to it. And I was it was a very sort of singular fandom. It, it really was. Nobody at school listened to it. If I meant, oh, did you listen to The Goons? It was, oh, it's, well, what's that then? Oh, it's a oh, radio show from the 1950s. And, oh, I don't listen to that. It's this old. It's practically black and white radio as far as they were concerned. Yeah. They wouldn't watch a black and white film. Yeah. Not going to listen to black and white radio. So, um, yeah, so it, that, and that, I was the only, but really it, it was, um, I did have a sort of very sort of happy time at school, to be honest, um, in, in those years. Those are my secondary school years. So, Having these, it was almost like an escape for me, as well. I could, I could enter this this world of Eccles and Blue Bottle and Bloodknock and Neddy Seagoon and Moriarty and so on and so on. It, it was, it, I say, it was a it was a real big escape for me. Mm. But then, horror of horrors, my younger sister, she taped over them. That's what younger sisters will tend to do. I, I think you're fine. I know exactly, and I was <laughs> gutted. I was absolutely gutted. Um, I think there was two episodes left. I think out of all that, I think which, which is actually personality and Queen Anne's reign. The rest she she taped over for whatever whatever reason. So it wasn't until I discovered the BBC and EMI double cassettes, and I think this is now we're looking sort of late 
mid to late 80s when I discovered them. Mm. Yeah, so then I just started snapping them up as well. But again, I was I was playing them to to death. And I don't, I don't know if you, you had this as well, so if anyone listened to this, but the, the quality of the BBC cassettes weren't all that great. And they would constantly unspool inside inside whatever oh, yeah. machine I played them on yeah. and they would they, and they would stretch and so that the quality of the audio would get really bad and yeah so but I don't know if it's just because it was poor quality or just the sheer number of times I played them back but round about that time my dad met Milligan oh, um right yeah he, coming out of I think it, back then it was, it was a branch of John Menzies in the London Wall. My dad used to work up in the around Broadgate. And as he was walking in, actually he was walking out, so Milligan was coming in. He held the door open for my dad. Um, I said, oh, have you come to buy my book? And my dad was like, no, no, I just sort of popped out for my lunch. And, and, and that was it. And Oh, what a, my, missed opportunity. I, what a missed opportunity. I, I know. And then when my dad told me this, when, when I, I, I was working at that time as well, and um, Going from my dad said, "Oh yeah, um, I met Spike Milligan today." I was, like, "Wow, well, um, did you get his autograph for me?" Now, well, you know, I had to get back to the office, you know, I, I, and, and I can clearly, I can clearly remember the two words I said to him: oh, yeah. "You bastard." Okay, could have been worse. <laughs> could have been worse. I know, but you. Ba- so, um, yes, yeah, so I thought, "Oh, Swan, you, you've met, you've met my hero." Um, which I, something I never I was never able to do. I was never able to, yeah, you know, to to do that, but. Um, but the thing, I mean, the other thing as well, as I say, my, my parents did feed my 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 sort of goon show habit. I think it, it was, I think when the last goon show of all was released on on VHS cassette, um, I wasn't aware of it. And my dad, again, in one of his lunchtime forays out into the, the whatever shops around around Liverpool Street, he came from work, and I was upstairs in my bedroom watching something on the town. He came and said, "I'll oh, turn this rubbish off." Oh, I'll, that was always thinking about my dad. I'll turn this rubbish off. Whatever it was, I'll turn this rubbish off. <laughs> and he came and he came and he said, "Turn this rubbish off." And I went, "What now?" And he said, "I've got this." And it was the it was the last goon show of all. Right, straight in and straight in the uh, in in the uh, in the old yeah, VHS player. You, 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 you know, you could so, have been halfway through the I don't know the seventh seal or something. Some some landmark in cinema, and your dad's coming and said, "Turn this rubbish off." <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think it was Star Trek Next Generation. Uh, so I think it probably probably was right. Turn the rubbish off. Mm. He did, yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, um, but I, I knew watching that, you know, you could tell that it was heavily edited. Um, yeah. The way it just sort of jumped, it jumped around, yeah. um, and then sort of year. And I do mean many years later when I, I tracked down the, the the complete audio version of that. You realise just how mm. much was was cut out of that. Yeah, the more I sort of obviously. I've, Spent a lot of time looking at Milligan and everything, but obviously I've read stuff on on Sellers as well. Um, we wouldn't mention Doctor Who, but I, I was I was guessing on a um, a podcast. I think it's last year sometime, and he was doing like a like a Doctor Who version of Desert Island Discs. It, all the questions were were um, Doctor related. And he said, "What other person, dead or alive, would you like to keep you company on on this Desert Island?" and Strangely, I, I said Peter Sellers, right? Ooh. And it, 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 why, mm. right? Why, why? Because why Peter Sellers? I just thought because I just think he would, he would be endlessly interesting, really. Because yeah, he he would blow like hot and cold and throw massive strops and a very childish man. But I thought he'd probably be the perfect person to be stranded on a desert island because he he disappeared for two or three weeks. And then come back again as nothing had happened. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough. But then, if you're there for a while and your clothes begin to perish, so <laughs> so you have to improvise and you start. So you're making like I don't know a pair of trousers out of uh, palm tree leaves. So like yes. Sellers is going to lose his rag because he hated green clothing. So, so you yes, he did, didn't he? You yes. you'd, you'd have to, you'd have to, you'd have to bleach them in the sun. Bleach all the all the green. You'd have to. Them. Or bamboo trousers? How about bamboo that? Bamboo trousers, <laughs> hard wearing. Yeah. So Phil, so you, you you wanted to come on and talk about "Ill Met by Goonlight." Mm-hmm. Uh, what, yes. What, what what is it about this particular episode that takes your fancy? Well, as I said, it, it sort of um, said sort of not too long ago. Actually, it's one of one of those six episodes mm. that the BBC played back in the eighties, and. It just sort of stayed with me because because it brings back sort of like those those lovely memories of sitting 
by the radio waiting to press record mm. at the exact moment. Mm. And it was always that, oh, damn, I just missed the beginning of that one off, you know. So um, I wish there was a word it, to describe that. I wish there was some German word to describe that. There should be. There should be. Mm. I, I, don't, I can't think of one, actually. Uh, oh, I don't know. Fing, Do you know what? Finger slipped. Finger slipped. That's a good one, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, it was... Um, no, I used to this one quite a bit, actually, because it, to, to my mind, it's not your usual goon show because no one's the bad guy in this one. They're all working together. Mm. They're all on the same side. You haven't got Grip Piper Moriarty as the antagonists That's right. in this at all. Mm. It's actually quite a, a well-structured goon show. You know, it's got a proper beginning, middle and end. Yeah. But uh, the, the thing is, though, the one that I recorded off the radio didn't have the opening bit with Greenside going, this is the BBC and, and Seacombe going, joke number one. Mm. It didn't have that on there. Mm. I don't know why they used to cut weird things out. Obviously, I've listened to the, the full version with all the missing yeah. bits put back in. But yeah, so there were there were little bits. There wasn't that much new stuff, actually, to, mm. to my ears. But the little bit, of, bit, bit at the beginning with Churchill was, was, was new yes. to me. There's a, a couple of weird edits from from my memory from the show when I first heard it, which would have been, you know, the one of the, the transcription services edited version back in the day. Mm. There's a there's a sequence where Neddy basically legs it because he you know he doesn't want to get involved in the secret mission and he's a coward. Yeah, he makes a run for it and and he's caught. Well, he's caught. In the actual full version, the, the line is that he's caught by the Urals. <laughs> now, now the word the, now the Urals is cut out of the, the the show that I sort of grew up with. It, it's really weird what the things they'll cut out because um, when they, they're singing a solo mio, mm. and there's a bit in that where Sellers sings deliberately our soliolo, oh, yeah. and you can hear Milligan just begin to crack up. Yeah, at that point. But the thing is, they didn't, and you knew full well what he was saying. There was no hiding. He was saying, Arso Leolo. They kept that in. That that was on one of the... You know, there's that, that six I recorded back in the 80s. That that was there. That was They didn't cut that, but they cut out, the, as you say from this one, a mention of the Urals. <laughs> so, yeah. So it was... Um, but yeah, what I, 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 I sort of liked about it is once it sort of gets in... Um, it's the silly, silly things about the, uh, on least two occasions, it's uh, the very disparaging about the, the American fleet, actually. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, it's sort of like, put it on the mantelpiece, I'll smoke it later. <laughs> or, what was that? I'll, I'll put it in lost property, I'll pick it up later. It was, right. it was so, that was the second one, yeah. So, um, I, <laughs> I just loved that. But the thing is, it, I've never actually seen Ill Met by Moonlight, the, the, the film that this is, actually sort of parried in um is that if that's even a word it all met by moon I, I i sort of did look at the the film synopsis and mission to to crete is where it ends really because it'll met by Gunnar has got absolutely no relation to the movie whatsoever apart from mission to crete to capture a german general well i i bought the D- dvd of it'll met by moonlight about yeah four years ago hmm and it's one of those, you know, when you start watching a film and I was watching, I watched about the first half and yeah. then I had to stop it to do something. Mm. And it was one of those films that, you know, you think oh, I'll come back to that. And then because it, I'd not become absorbed by it enough or sufficiently mm. that yeah. you kind of make excuses not to watch the, the next bit. Um, yeah. And I did think, mm, should I watch it ahead of doing this just to kind of see if there's any parallels, but nah, of course it didn't. Nah. Um, nah. <laughs> but, uh, it was a true story so incredible that even those who took part in it were constantly being surprised. Oh, so there are some other Englishmen on Crete. Yes, you'd be surprised. But the British officers who took part in it were most surprising of all. What's that smell? Mm. Oh, me. Sorry. But I, I, I'll get down with I mean, let, let me let me just give a quick little sort of rundown in terms of the um, the broadcast history and whatnot. So mm, yes, so it's it's um, it's from series seven. It's episode twenty three. So it's coming quite close to the end of the seventh series. 
Yeah. Uh, broadcast 14th of March, 1957. Spike and Larry Stevens are down as script writers and produced by Pat Dixon. Now, yet again, and one, one thing, you know, one of the things I'm finding from doing this podcast is because, you know, when you're sort of digging deep in terms of uh, topical references, what's going on around the time that these shows are going out, the actual film Ill Met by Moonlight was, was only released on the 4th of March, 57. So 10 days before this, this Goon Show episode <laughs> was broadcast. So, you know, the week, probably the week that Spike was putting the show together. Uh, yeah, I mean, as you say, it, it's there, there is quite a, you know, a structural plot to it. It's, it's, set, it's the middle of World War II. And mm-hmm. uh, Lieutenant Ned Segan is, is ordered to lead a secret mission to uh, German-occupied Crete in order to capture the commanding officer, General von Gutern, um, and he's 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 assisted in a manner of speaking by Bloodnark, Allington, and Eccles, and using pretty unorthodox what would you call it weaponry? Yes, um, socks. An unorthodox commando unit. Yes, <laughs> socks full of spaghetti, and 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 then you know along the way, Seagun overcomes such perils as Germans, dynamite explosions, and some really corny gags. Um, oh, very corny gags. Yes. And and kind of successfully completes the mission, but doesn't really, because there's a little twist. Yeah. There's a twist at the end. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, well, let's, let's, I mean, let's be honest. Seagun doesn't accomplish much at the end of any goon show really. does No, he, so. no. <laughs> and I was looking, I was quite, one of the things that I picked up on re-listening to it the other day, hmm. the sheer number of different voices that Sellers took on for this episode. Hmm. Because, uh, because first and foremost, there's no Minnie or Henry at all. No, there isn't. Uh, so, so one of his core characters is absent. Okay, but I, I, I went through and I sort of jotted down, noted down every character, however small a part, shall we yes. say? Yes. Uh, and and I've note, jotted down twelve different roles here that Sellers performed, and of course Henry wasn't one of them. So no. So you've got Sellers playing Churchill briefly at right at the yep. right at the beginning because there's a, yeah like you say there's that there's that gag that got got cut from from later uh versions which is the topical gag right at the beginning where churchill is threatening to kill alan brooke alan brooke this is the bbc home service joke number one what did the elder statesman say when he read the sunday times i'll kill that fellow alan brooke one of the- had, had alan brooke just released the book at that time well no he hadn't uh, but someone else had about, it was like a biography, or I think it was an authorised biography of Alan Brooke. And mm. it was by a guy called Arthur Bryant um, mm. called The Turn of the Tide. And it was published in January of that year. So it was only a couple of months before this this show went out. Before this, yeah, yeah. Uh, and essentially, from what I've read up about it, uh, Alan Brooke, I think he he gave him access, this guy access to his diaries. And there was a lot of stuff in there about how um, Alan Brooke didn't like the Americans, thought they were chumps, pretty much. Um, <laughs> and he wasn't very flattering about Churchill and didn't think he really had it in him to be a, a wartime leader. Hmm. Um, and so I, I, I'm just wondering whether, because he, they, they mentioned Churchill uh, annoyed about something he'd read in the Sunday Times. I'm wondering whether the, the book was being serialised at the time, perhaps. Oh, maybe. Yeah, that's the sort of thing you used to do then, isn't it? Um, it's not something you, you see so much no. now. Mm. Um, maybe because people, people don't buy newspapers so much anymore. But you could be, you know, I, th- I think you, you, you could be onto something mm. there, actually. But I say it's the only topical reference it is, really. in this story as such, isn't yeah. it? Really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, say not even to be, okay, if it follows the sort of the the, the major plot beat of, of, of the movie, it doesn't do anything other than that really does it does it's not taking the mickey out of any of the actors in there or you know you know sort of like milligan you know he had this thing about you know that that the, the stiff upper lip sort of style of acting you know especially uh, was it um anton warbrook for some reason he had, he had it in for for some reason yeah, yeah so he was always sort of parodying that kind of thing but it doesn't really sort of go into those sort of 1950s war or certainly british war movie tropes too much really not really it's more taking the i mean how can you read when you've got a spaghetti hurling regiment really yeah yeah, uh, yeah. You, you can't can you well you you've also but, got so just going back to sellers because he's he, so he's, yeah. he plays he plays churchill briefly he plays the the i guess he's an unnamed u.s officer but it's the hearn voice 
uh, that he does. Oh, yeah, her, her. Yeah. Um, he, do, he does this wonderful lift attendant, which is a very, <laughs> very camp lift attendant who says... Um, Admiralty third floor, battleship submarines, combined ops, and a rotten beast of a wren called Frida Brottle. <laughs> and it got a big laugh. As well, and again, was that anything in the news at the time? Was it, was it something about a wren or? Um, but no, I, I I couldn't find anything out about it. I just think all. I just think it's a funny name. It's just a silly name, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and he's, and he's just he's just being a bit of a bitch. This lifter ten. Yeah, um, I think I was trying to read too much into that yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. yeah, because Blue Bottle later on in the show he refers to uh, <laughs> two playtime rotters, Eric Swerge and Bert Prod. Was it because I was it was Eric Twilge? Eric Twilge. Uh, it was, <laughs> I thought it was Eric Twilge and Burt Prod. Um, maybe you're right. Maybe it is Eric Swilge. To me, it sounds like Twilge when I listen back to it. Okay. Uh, it always sounds like Eric. It always sounds like Eric Twilge. I'll go back and um, listen. Yeah. Again, it gets a massive laugh, and he cracks up saying it as well, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Again, I, I, I think it's just silly names. Silly, really. Silly so, names. Especially, especially Burt Prod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so so Sellers he he, he plays this uh, sort of generic British officer type as well, uh, yeah, and then who kind of seems to morph into Grip Pipe Thin, I think. Uh, yes, there's not a lot in it, is there? No, and then and then you've got Blood Knock, of course. Then you've got William, who is playing a ticket collector, um, but is in reality <laughs> von Guten. <laughs> apparently, we find out at the end. Yes, <laughs> uh, Sellers plays a station announcer. Which is this sort of um, rather sort of severe female voice that he that he puts on? Yes, uh, yeah. He plays Lou, the the Jewish character, very understated Jewish character that he plays. Oh, oh, oh yes, um, very very subtle, very subtle. <laughs> uh, Blue bottle, of course, and then um, Bibelodo Corblimos or something. Who <laughs> 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 is this leader of the the resistance? He's a partisan. Welcome, English Germanders. I am Bibelodo Corblimos. Good. Now, where is General von Guttern? Every night at 10, his staff car passed through the coast road south of Yarn Bondsmith. Where's Yarn Bondsmith? Under your hat, chap. <laughs> yeah, a, a, a very... Well, it could be any Spanish, South American voice that I think Sellers was doing there. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing as well. This is an interesting little digression because... Yeah. Sellers actually auditioned for the role of a Greek partisan in Ill Met by Moonlight. And right. Ill Met by Moonlight was directed by um, Michael Powell. Of, oh, of, it was the last It was the last Powell and Pressburger film, Ill Met by Moonlight. Yes. And yeah. uh, Powell obviously would go on to do Peeping Tom and other, other yes. things. And, and that, that kind of basically almost finished his career, finished his career yeah. didn't it? Um, yeah. And I, I gather, I didn't realise... That I gather that Michael Powell was a bit of a prissy kind of so and so. He wasn't particularly mm. well liked, I gather, uh, or at least that's the impression I get from things I've read about him. He, yeah. he could be quite um, abrupt. Uh, but though, so Sellers auditioned for this role. I'm not quite sure because it's not, you know, it's not a, not a comedy. You'd think Sellers, and Sellers must have been fancying that he could strike out into drama, play a dramatic role, I guess, around this time. Uh, but he he was rejected. Powell rejected him and uh, described him as looking at the time like uh, an Indian rubber owl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh dear. Why why a rubber owl? I don't think I've ever seen a, a rubber well, owl. Was, actually. It, it, well, no, Indian rubber. So it's an owl made oh, of Indian right. rubber. <laughs> Again, why 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 any kind of rubber? Actually, <laughs> no, I don't know, but. I mean, the sellers in '57. You know, he had a bit of timber on him. He was quite a tubby gentleman. He was he, tubby gentleman. He, he, he was with yeah. the glasses. He yeah. kind of looked a bit owl-faced, I suppose. But anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, fast forward ten years. Okay, ten years later, and yeah. Michael Powell, whose whose career has you know taken a bit of a, a dive by this point, is looking to to adapt the, the wonderful Michael Frayne um, novel. The Russian Interpreter. So he's looking to make a film hmm. of the novel, The Russian Interpreter. And yeah. he goes to visit Sellers. That's the big pile of bricks that Sellers was living in at the time, wherever that would have, would have been. Yeah. And <laughs> apparently Powell turns up at Sellers' house and just drives straight up into the garage 
in, without you know, asking, just sort of just drives st- straight in. And the the first <laughs> the first person he sees is is Britt Eklund. And according right according to legend, Powell sort of got out, jumped out of his car, and says, "Ah, is this Sellers?" Looking at Britt Eklund. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. <laughs> Um, and then, and then, uh, so he, he endeared himself to the pair of them immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so yeah, he got off on the right footing, and then I believe he spent some time, he and others, trying to persuade Sellers to to you know, appear or star in this film. And I think Sellers just kind of just end, ended up kind of humiliating him in public. Um, I, th- I think I think Sellers really, really, really took against them, and um, I th- and I don't know whether it was because of the fact that he'd been, you know, turfed off this film in '57. Well, he wasn't even in the film; he, he was rejected from no. the audition. But yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I I I could imagine Sellers holding that grudge, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, so so yeah, so <laughs> yeah, very long winded thing to say here but but yeah so so <laughs> so it's quite interesting that sellers would play this this partisan leader um and i wonder whether the, the audition he he played called as as part of his audition pop audition maybe he did who knows <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then finally he plays uh von gutern who is actually turns out to be a ticket collector from clapham uh who's a who's, yes. a, who's a very uh, yes. again a very sort of fey german voice german character uh, the, the characterization so yeah so this this to, to my by my county there's 12 different roles there and they're not all you know they're not all the well-known ones there's some there's some quite unusual ones as well yeah i think that's the i mean even moriarty and grip pipe are in one scene yeah really and that and that's it and they don't really have a big impact on on the story at all this is really driven by C lady seagoon blood knock eccles and Ellington and Blue Bottle, really, and Blue Bottle and Blue. Uh, right, yeah, towards the end, yeah. the, the latter half of it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although, see, Milligan is that he plays a, a, a different version of uh, Jim Spriggs. It's Field Marshal Montgomery. Um, yeah, I wanted to mention that. I'm glad you mentioned yeah. that because we've never really, to my knowledge, with possible exception of the show I did with my friend Tilt, we've never really mentioned Spriggs, the Jim Spriggs character, or his incarnations. So we got Adolphus Spriggs as well, which I'm not yes. quite sure where the where the, the the difference lies, other than the name, really. <laughs> <laughs> and that strange voice of was it was it in the key of C, isn't it? Apparently, yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah. The Hello, Jim. Yeah, um, yeah. It's weird. There's, there's a lot of them sort of uh, of vocals. What was it um, originally? Wasn't Blue Bottle originally Ernie Splutmuscle? Yes, he was. In the in the in the very in the sort of the crazy people sort of era and that's what that's just evolved into blue bottle i think it's the same thing with spriggs because spriggs was just sort of used as a what what can we do just sort of as like a little pretend musical interlude then stop him singing kind of thing um yeah yeah. and then he just then he sort of evolved into this other i'm not going to say fully formed character because it's 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 not um but it'd be it'd be it'd be came more of a thing and I don't know again if it was just like um it, it was another attempt at a catchphrase he was an he was an off the peg character for when they needed a character that wasn't yeah. more when, when Sellers wasn't available to do another voice and they needed a character uh, to be a, a policeman or a hotel receptionist or whatever it may be yeah um, yeah and and uh, Spike would do would do Spriggs yeah because I don't know how many times he'd done the character Spriggs before this episode, but there's, and I think it's Sellers who who starts who cracks up when um oh God, I, I don't I, again I don't remember those people who does goons impressions I can't do them anyway but when he says so you see Seagoon so you see Seagoon like that oh, yeah. and then you hear Sellers laughing and I think he's clapping as well you you can and I don't know why why for that particular moment he decides <laughs> to think that's hilariously funny and start clapping and it's almost as if that's the first time he's heard it. Obviously, it's not. Oh, it's not, but no. Obviously, it's not. But for some, I don't know what makes him 
well, laugh and clap we, to that we, particular don't, we don't know what, rendition. We don't know what happened in the rehearsals. We don't know what they've been talking about or laughing about exactly. prior to the recording. Exactly. And it could be some little, you know, little in joke, some something that came out during rehearsals, and we, we are unaware. We, the audience, are unaware of what significance it has to the rest of them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's loads of occasions where you can hear. I mean, the audience laughing at something's obviously they're doing on stage. Yeah. That us the listener I've got we're just not privy to unfortunately yeah yeah it's those little moments that just makes you wonder what 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 makes it so funny for them or why is the audience reacting the way it is like you say like to things like Frieda Brothel why does everyone find that hilariously funny well it's just a silly name it doesn't mean anything yeah yeah but again he's used very sparingly again um the Spriggs voice anyways no he's not called Spriggs in this obviously but once he's done his bit, then he doesn't. He doesn't appear that's again, right. really, does he? Does yeah. his McGurry? That's it. He's gone. Um, but that's why. That's why I particularly like this one because it. It, it is like well a properly as you said at the beginning a properly structured story. It goes from one scene to the next scene, introduces more characters, and those characters might join me in the next scene. Or, and I think Larry Stevens has got a lot to do with that because I think he kept spiking checks. Yes. Yeah, a lot of the time. I, think so. um, I know you've you've spoken, uh, you've had a, a whole podcast devoted to Larry Stevens, mm. um, but but I do think that after, and it's really noticeable as well actually, after Larry Stevens has has gone, unfortunately, uh, it it does sort of lose its way plot wise, and sometimes it's just they're mucking about until the first musical interlude, then the goon show will start, the, the, whatever the plot of that week is. You know, so it's almost like you always get like you know like five ten minutes of of their version of variety, and then it then it goes on to the Goon Show right. after after Max Gildre. But there's some crackers in series nine, some, some cracking shows. Oh yeah, that. there is, there is. I think it. I think again is what I was saying. It depends how what Spike's mindset was that particular week, really, whether he could turn in a complete script. But as I say, that this series seven, I think that there is there's some good, strong stuff in there. And I think this is one of my particular favourites. This this really is. I mean, it's sort of when they get to when Moriarty does appear. It's not for it's for the fried French forces. Yes, and it's just the fact they just the fact they're fried. <laughs> yeah, actually, I don't. <laughs> I don't, know, I don't know. It's always made me laugh. That I don't. I don't know why. But um, and, and so yeah. we've got this. We've got this camp that Bloodnock seems to be in commanding. Which yes, which he's got this method. He's come up with this method for ending the war, which is uh, commandos to be issued with socks full of spaghetti and for for hitting mm. hitting German soldiers in the face with. Um, yes, and, uh, who will then, in their befuddled state, assume that the Italians have turned against them. Um, you <laughs> got me thinking. There's a lot of there's a lot of socks filled with stuff in the Goon Show, isn't there? This, this, there, I know. And off the top, I was, I was, off the top of my head, there's this, there's, <laughs> there's this. There's a sock full of grit in A Christmas Carol. <laughs> yes. And obviously, the, there's although it's not in the show itself, but the sock full of custard to um, simulate the sound of a batter pudding being hurled at someone. Hurled, yes, um, yes. It's just socks full of stuff. <laughs> and usually, and usually, army socks as well. Yes. yes. <laughs> as you come back, um, what you said about blood up there is when he's describing his method of winning the war with this this army sock full of lukewarm spaghetti, as he calls it. It's that, but he starts the sentence of with um, each commando <laughs> like that, and I, and I again, I just crack up at that bit, and I. I don't know if it's sort of like it's that the thought of Butch Commandos gets him going. Well. <laughs> there's there's a lot of I think there's a bit of innuendo there. Um but it, it always makes me laugh. <laughs> He's never given the impression that any warm body would do, but you never know with, with blood knock. Um and what was the other one? Oh I can't I can't, I can't remember the name of the episode where he, he says to Eccles, uh, Eccles, were you about to, to suggest something? Uh, no, but well, why are you standing looking so suggestive? Mm. And he's oh, I, I am not. And he just starts going, oh, oh, <laughs> like that. Oh, you're not man, you. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, he's, he's done on, that's two occasions I can think of where he's, uh, any warm body will do, actually. Fair enough. Fair enough. But, uh, it was, it was the war, wasn't it? Uh, it was the war, exactly. <laughs> I love the fact, I love the fact that, so, for reasons unknown, Lieutenant Seagoon has been chosen to lead this team to Creek to capture the, the general. Yes. And of course, Seagoon. One of the great things about Seagoon is his cowardice, his sheer cowardice. 
you know, he's, he's such he's such a, a patriotic Welsh Englishman, but you know, he just yes. he's ready to scarper at the slightest hint of any trouble. And I love the fact that um, it turns up to to Bloodnox, uh, what spit spaghetti hurling depot and rill. And says mm. and announces that he's the volunteer for the creek job, and Bloodnock says, "Unchain him, Sergeant." <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then, oh, I, I think Millions got this whole thing about was it cowardice in the face of Enzo was one of his, <laughs> one of his other famous lines as <laughs> yeah, well. So, yeah, um, yeah, he has got this thing about um, again. I think it is that you know that that thing about the, the stiff upper lip and the, uh, the the British War movie of the nineteen fifties. He just took it the other way. Yes, they went off to do brave things, but they were taken there in chains. <laughs> you know, they were dragged there screaming and kicking, yes. you know, to, to do that brave thing. Um, again, I think it's for all of them, really, sort of like that that wartime experience. The, it's not full of square-jawed heroes for the real world, is it? it? People are, they do do brave things without even knowing it, really. But in this case... Seagull doesn't want to do a break. He wants to run away back to Wales. So uh, <laughs> there is a reference to there's a <laughs> grit pipe briefs Seagoon and, and sort of prefaces it by saying, "Let's put you in the picture." To which Nettie replies, "Too late, Dirk Bogard's already in it." Which obviously, yes. which obviously, is a little uh, reference to the actual film, the, the movie. Parody. Yeah, and I love the bit on the train. So they're on the train. They're traveling to Portsmouth. And 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 the the, you know, the war office being so uh, so stingy mm. um, won't even like you know stretch to paying for their train tickets, so they have to hide under the seat. Oh, tickets, please! Oh, tickets! Here, you three under the seat. Tickets. Curse! He spotted us. <laughs> Come on now, what are you hiding under the seat for? <laughs> <laughs> We're on a secret mission and we thought you were a German spy. Me a German spy, mate? I come from Clapham South, mate. Well, we've got to be careful, you see. We're going to Crete to capture General von Guter. Good luck, mate, good luck. But I still want to see your ticket, mate. They basically tell William, this ticket collector, the whole secret mission. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, dear. I also have the fact that it's that that thing of hiding under the seat as well. It just—I don't know why it always gets me. So, <laughs> you say there's some good stuff, but you say you've got some really corny jokes in there as well. Because once they actually, obviously, they, they they get on the on the, the submarine supplied by Moriarty and his fried French forces. Once they sort of row row ashore, sort of like, all ashore lads were on Crete, and Bloodlet says, "Oh, this beach is hard. Oh, we must be on concrete." Hup! Like that, so mm. it, it seems to be built just for that concrete joke, and then at the end you get another bad joke, which you think they've chosen that name just to make <sighs> wow. that joke. Right? Yeah. Can I tell you? <laughs> Can I tell God. you? And I and I swear to God, you know, on my on my, I'm not going to swear on my mother's grave, but on someone else's grave, I swear that God. I'd worked out yes. that that was going to be the joke when I first heard this show. <laughs> I swear to God, because because I was thinking because it's not a goonish name. It's not mm. von Gutern is not a goonish name. No, it's not. Not at all. And I remember thinking von Gutern, von Gutern. Oh. And and because I guess I'd heard, I'd heard enough goon shows to know that there's very often they've got form for obviously uh, doing punning jokes based on foreign names. Um, yes. I can't. I don't know if I knew if I'd worked out it was going to be von Gutern deserves another, but I thought it's going to be something like that. You know. Um, yeah. And yeah, spot on. The, 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 the whole purpose of the name, right from the right from the outset of the show, was purely to 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 build towards that corny gag. <laughs> and why not? And why he, not? Did, he did like a corny gag. He did love corny gags. Actually, Spiderman thinks he did this sort of irreverent, uh, um, sort of uh, out there humour. But no, he he did like you know obvious jokes sometimes. Yes. You know, or, or bad puns or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's uh, bring it on, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> we've got we've got the the blue bottle echo sequence where so I think Seagoon and uh, Bloodnock and Ellington are going to go and dynamite the bridge further on down the road. They ask Blue Bottle and Eccles to stay behind and keep a keep KV for the the general's car. And then you've got this little sequence, lovely lovely little sequence where Blue Blue Bottle's talking about 
some English girl that he's met who can speak French, and it just—it's just wonderful. <laughs> I'm gonna dance the can can. Yes, <laughs> it's almost like it's—it's like—it's like Blue Bottle and Eccles version of what would you call it? Locker room talk. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like they're sort of the as I say, the locker room, but the barrack room. The barrack talk. room, yeah, uh, barrack room. Yes, yeah, so we're gonna yeah put it into sort of sort of army army terms here. Yes. Um, yeah, but it's, it, it was if you've got two children doing barrack room, <laughs> but you know, sort of like what's a bit risque? Oh, she she has got she can speak French and does the can can. We're putting an oil can on each foot and jumping up and down. <laughs> so it's <laughs> as we said, uh, people use the what time was it? Eccles, yeah, as a as a, a you know thing to illustrate goon humour. Um, but if I was to pick an Eccles and Blue Bottle sketch, it would probably be this one to illustrate the goons more than anything else. Right. I think this is a nice little nice little double act thing going on here. And it's silly as well. But it's got one of my favourite sort of things of someone being a coward in the goon show. Uh, it's Blue Bottle. So we'll both close our eyes. And when we open, whoever's left stops the car. Yes. Right. And then you sort of right. It's that thing with... Echo's saying, right, you've got your eyes closed. Yeah, in the background, in the distance, you hear Blue Bottle going, yes, like that sort of, and it just, it gets me every time. It's a fantastic gag. It really yeah. is. What? Look, hit the car. Oh, who's going to stop it? Let's draw lots for it. We'll both close our eyes, and when we open them, whoever's left stops the motor car. Okay. Mine are closed. Well, are yours closed? <laughs> of course, they have to shoehorn in uh, blue horn, blue horn, <laughs> blue horn. Yes, <laughs> blue bottle, blue bottle falling in a body of water, uh, so that they can, yes. so that little Jim can come along and say his catchphrase. So yeah, so so yeah, you know, all's well that ends well, or is it? Because Seagoon thinks that they've you know they've completed the mission successfully, they've captured von Guturn, and then William turns up. And says, yes. hands up, mate. And he's, he's basically reveals that he... Or hands up some, as he says. Yeah, <laughs> reveals that he has been von Guttern, a German spy all the time. And von Guttern's is in reality a ticket collector from Clapham. And the show ends. And it's it's a nice little, yeah. nice little, neat little ending as far as, you know, by goons terms anyway. Well, I say it does, it's sort of like, soon it does get the last word. And, and it's actually quite apt when you, you, you sort of read stuff about, you know, the, the British Armed Forces now ill-equipped their words. He says, you know, folks, I sometimes wonder how we won the war. Yeah. Um, yeah, ne- never, never a truer sentence, I think, actually. So, But, uh, yeah, I, I, it's one of those episodes I will keep coming back to because I, I think it's, um, you know, we've been talking about it, all, you know, for the last you know, 30 minutes or so. And I, even though I still don't think it's, it's not your typical goon show, this one because it has it's got a proper structure to it. I'll keep saying that it's got a proper structure. Go and listen to it um, because they're not all that out there humour all the no. time. You know, with lots of silly sound effects and mm. silly voices and everything. As we, as we said, there's a lot of those characters you know and love are not in this story or they're not used that they're much for one scene only. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Mm. That's that's why I selected. It. And plus, of it, it just takes me back to those happy days. You know, by the radio, pressing record on the old uh, on the old cassette player. Yeah as well <laughs> yeah it's, i must have been it's, it's, it's not it's not one that, i mean i listened to them all on heavy rotation yeah for a like, three or four year period back in the late 80s early 90s and yeah it, you know this one i knew every word pretty much you know and uh but it wasn't it wasn't one that i would say was one of my very favorites it wasn't one that i listened to a lot mm. uh, i don't know why because you know, I'm listening to these again now after so many years and actually thinking in some ways I'm appreciating them more than maybe I did when I was 16, 17. Uh, and it's hard to explain why that is, but it's maybe just, maybe I just appreciate the, the artistry. Yeah. I, th- I think that you're onto something there actually, because I think obviously when I started listening to these, you know, as a, as a preteen and as a teenager and grow up and everything, um, it was all just about the silly voices and the sound effects and everything. But, uh, you know, and as I sort of got older and, and uh, so like yourself, listening to them on, on rotation, I certainly did have a, a, a big period myself doing that. Um, 
you start to appreciate some of the the, the wordplay because there was nothing else like it on the radio that time. But yeah, so that, that I mean, that's one of the. I think as I, as I grew up, it, it was that you sort of appreciate what they were trying to do. That well, it was different. They were thumbing the nose at authority all, all the time, and so many risque jokes they could get away with. I know, sort of like you know, people like Eddie is. I'd say Spike Milligan was you know he's the godfather of modern comedy. Um, I, I I can't really sort of disagree with that. Mm. To be honest, he sort of set the template. He could, what you what you could actually do, what you could get away with. Yes, that's it. As well, yeah, yeah. you know, because once it's done, it's done. You know, so you can't say that. Well, we've already said it. Mm-hmm. So you can't put the genie back yeah. in the bottle, can you? No, you can't. That's it. That is it. Yeah. So no, it's a, it's a it's a it's an excellent show. It's a great show. Phil, thank you so much for coming on and and, and talking about it. Uh, and thank you for having me. I, <laughs> well, just it's been great, absolutely great. Yeah, just just before we before we wind up completely, I just wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping um, because Ooh, okay. uh, uh, you know I record these quite well in advance of when they actually go out. And about six or seven shows back, we covered the case of the missing CD plates. I covered that with John Rain, and I thought I'd done my research. Phil, I thought I'd done it. I thought it'd be, I oh. thought I'd been pretty assiduous. I thought I'd, you know, uncovered every sort of little nugget, you know, every little sort of topical fact that I could. Um, have you have you been out fact? I've been out fact. Right. So the, the case of the missing CD plate. So obviously, you know, the it, the the crux of the story is that uh, Ned Seagoon gets squashed by a piano, which is thrown out of the Titicacan embassy window. And they, they claim they have diplomatic immunity, so they can't, you know, they're immune from prosecution. I said in the show that I just thought that I wondered whether there had been some sort of hoo-ha or brouhaha at the time about um, the abuse of diplomatic immunity. Uh, mm-hmm. And apparently there was because Sean Gaffney, listener Sean Gaffney, who, who is, uh, is going to be a future guest, actually, um, he, he got in touch and he said that in May 1955, so, so what's that, a good sort of around sort of six months before the show was broadcast, um, a very similar incident occurred uh, and actually was, was, oh. was brought up and discussed in the House of Commons. And Andrew Crowther, another listener, he managed to dig out a press cutting from the time. I just want to read you this. The headline is, A Diplomat Threw Piano on a Car. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, the occasion when a frustrated young Peruvian diplomat let steam off brought laughter to the House of Commons last night when the incident and its consequences were mentioned by Mr. C.R. Hobson, MP for Keithley. Mr. Hobson was speaking during a debate on diplomatic immunity, a subject once of great concern to one of his constituents. Members laughed when Mr. Hobson told them his constituent parked his car outside a London hotel when onto it fell a grand piano. It was not so funny for the car owner from Keithley because the piano had been thrown by a diplomat who, because of his status, could not be called on to pay for damage to the car. Uh, so, and it goes oh, on, so- it goes on. But yeah, so that actually happens. <laughs> I, so was he solely responsible for throwing a grand piano? Well, I guess he must... Out of the window. He probably had some... He must have had... He must have assistance, surely. <laughs> Some some sort of minor ranking diplomat possibly helped him. Um, Maybe, yeah. Some, yeah, but that's amazing. Diplomat, dip, diplomatic lick spittle, I was going to say. Yes, actually. yes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And also, there's a right at the beginning of the show, uh, there's a reference to Baroness Auxy. And I spent, a, a, hmm. I spent a, a, a decent amount of time talking about Baroness Auxy and wondering why, yeah. why her name had, had cropped up. And former guest Mike Haskins wrote in, and pointed out to me that they'd been on BBC television uh, a week or two before this uh, this goon show. There'd been uh, Sunday Night Theatre, The Scarlet Pimpernel, starring Tony Britton, um, him off Robin's Nest, I guess, as the, as yes. the, as the Scarlet Pimpernel. Um, so obviously... Fern Britton's dad. Fern Britton's dad, <laughs> that's right. Better known as Fern Britton's that's dad. It. And then finally... Uh, Nick Burden got in touch to say, because I mentioned that there was footage, that there is footage uh, that exists of a goon show uh, on film, uh, but there was no audio. And I'd said that I'd, I wish that, you know, we could work out what what goon show it was that they were, that they were performing. And hmm. uh, Nick got in touch to remind me, and actually I've watched it this week, that um, they identified, there was a Victor Lewis Smith Sellers documentary a couple of years ago. And they, they hmm. through lip reading and all that sort of thing, they managed to identify that it was actually... Drum roll, 
Queen Anne's reign. Ah, which, which brings us back to the beginning of our conversation. I'm glad we, we we definitely we definitely planned that, Tyler, didn't we? We did. Yes, we did. It was all it was all part of the plan. <laughs> I'm glad I finished that. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I, I've, I shall step up the research. I will uh, maybe have to bring somebody on to do my research for me. Yes, the you, 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 yes, you need your own lick spittle, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Phil, listen, thank you again so much. Um, just uh, just do a little, thank l- you. just do a little plug for the podcast in terms of where people can hear it and, and whatnot. Yes, um, well, if you like Doctor, you want to listen to two old farts rambling on about said show. Um, if you you just find, find us by googling "Who's He" podcast, you can find us on all the usual um, social media place like Facebook and and Twitter. We've got our own website. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Amazon Music. We're we're everywhere. I've I've hoard myself out to every yeah. big social media company there is on the planet. So um, Me too. So um, so if you want to give us a listen, there we are. Yeah. If if you're into Gardner's Question Time and you don't like Doctor Who, probably don't give it a listen, but. If you do like Doctor Who, give it a listen. (laughs) Give it a listen. That's it. (laughs) Thank you again to Phil. Uh, Thank you for listening. Please follow uh, on Twitter. It's uh, at GoodShowPod. Also, please rate and review on iTunes. Lots of five-star reviews. Uh, Bump up the numbers. Bump up the profile. And um, uh, everyone's happy. So uh, uh, until next time, take care and bye. Bye.